This week on Recruitment Flex, we recap the sitcom that was Open AI's week. Who will hire the first non-existent candidate? And how to keep the love going with your new employees. Plus, don't look at age to determine who wants to work from home. Tear up with my dad and Shelly starts after this message from Manhattan. Hey, Shelly, do you remember the days of being in corporate talent acquisition? Oh, absolutely. Every time the phone rang, it was another staffing agency claiming to be innovative and different. I used to wonder when someone would truly elevate the industry. Well, hold on to your hat here because that's exactly what Van Hack has done. Shelly, picture this. A closed community of pre-verified tech talent ready to relocate to Canada with all the paperwork taken care of. Sounds too good to be true? Well, not anymore. VanHack has made it a reality. They have built the community of skilled software developers eager to make the move, and they handle the entire immigration process. And that's not all. They're taking it up a notch. Companies with offshore development teams listen up. Van Hacks introducing the Canadian Engineering Office. Move your entire dev team to Canada, and Van Hack handles all the nitty gritty details of immigration and relocation. So, can you imagine, Serge, the applause from your CIO if you were to walk into his office and bring this solution to the table? Shelly, every time I walk into an office, I get applause. But that's not all. The best part is they've got certified immigration consultants on board who've done this countless times. They understand that every family situation is unique. Revolutionize the way you recruit, relocate, and retain talent because when it comes to innovation in the talent acquisition world, Van Hack is leading the charge. Get ready to be the hero of your company. Check out vanhack.com today. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. Shelly, you just came back from Edmonton after watching Depeche Mode. Am I saying it right? Depeche Mode. Yes. Depeche Mode. Do you know what that is in French? Ice cream? No, I don't. No, fast fashion. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. You know, we were talking just before we hit record about how great the music was in the 90s. And Depeche Mode, their album that came out in 1990, one of them, it wasn't their first. I just loved it. I always did. And I can honestly say I never dreamt I would ever get to see them live. And Where was it? Was it at the Rogers? In Edmonton. It was a Rogers place. Yeah. Full house. Sold okay. out. Unbelievable. So Brooke just entered a contest on a radio station, you know, when you just call in and whatever. So on Thursday, she gets a text message that says, you won. So she sends me the text message. She goes, do you think this is real? And it was. (laughs) You know what? Probably a lot of people won before her, but no one wanted to go. First of all, Edmonton, second, Depeche Mode. So when we talk about how the music was great in the 90s, I'm going to argue with you, like Depeche Mode. I would go see pretty much any concert, but I would not go see Depeche Mode. But it was you, packed. It was packed. I Seriously, know. And, and I love Depeche Mode. And I love the Chili Peppers. Like all those 90s bands, 
I know all the ones you hate. Um, those are not 90s bands. Those are yes, 80s are. bands that like trickle no, into the 90s. So oh I got to say, I blew a fuse when I saw your notes and you said in your notes that you're going to Depeche Mode and you said best album of 1990 Violator by Depeche Mode. Yeah. And for a minute, I thought you meant like the 90s. And I'm like, okay, let me research this one because I've never heard a song on it and I listened to a couple. But in 1990, they only topped the chart at 17. So they weren't even in the top 10 most sold albums. And I know most sold album doesn't equate to the best albums. I totally get it. But then when you look at the 90s, actually Busta Rhymes album called Violator, same title, just sold double what Depeche Mode sold with this album. So I am glad you specified after the fact that it was just 1990 because you were going to get a near full if that was the case. Oh, that's okay. I can debate music. It's a matter of taste. Depends how old you were as well. Like how old well, were you in 1990? How old were you well, in 1990? I was around 12. You were 12. You were 12. Your taste in music was very mature at 12, I'm sure. I was 26, Serge. I actually lived the 90s. No, not in the same way. 26, you're oh, past yeah. your bar phase. You're past all of that. In the 90s, I hit my bar phase and all of those. Early, where- did you? I think it peaked early, but we're talking about the decade of I know, great. Nirvana, Nevermind, OK Computer by Radiohead. Gart Brooks sold 100 million albums in that decade. It, it was a magical decade. It was. So Shelly, yes. I saw that you joined a women's entrepreneurs mentorship group called The Forum. What, what is that? They've been operating across Canada for about 10 years. So women who are just starting out within their first couple of years of being an entrepreneur can sign up to be part of the group. And you are paired up with someone who's made it through the other side. That is, we've made it past our 10 years in business. What's interesting is 10 years ago, I remember thinking, I wonder if I should reach out to them because it's a struggle. There's a lot of things you couldn't possibly know. And so I had unofficial mentors. I didn't go through the program, but I reached out to people in my network. I like to set aside time always to volunteer somehow. Young women in business, it's something I really enjoy. Good on you, Shelly. I I saw a post this weekend that really pissed me off uh, on LinkedIn. And I won't specify more because I'll get in trouble, but... Basically, was listening like to all these companies that are just driving HR recruitment technology in Alberta. Look at all of these great entrepreneurs. And I'm like, well, you're forgetting the biggest, if not the most important, which is Shelly. And you're <laughs> basically promoting all these companies that are vaporware. The only thing they're doing is doing a lot of public speaking, which is creating a narrative that they're just blowing up. But when I look at recruitment in Alberta, with you having the biggest recruitment marketing firm almost in Canada, you are making an impact. I I don't know why they wouldn't highlight you. It just drives me a little bit crazy. Thank you, Serge. You know, shameless self-promotion is probably my weakness. I want to always give back. It's why we started the show. It's our passion project for both of us. And to just quietly behind the scenes be a huge success is probably more rewarding for me than 
blowing up the internet with self-praise. I wanted to call that out because I want to make sure you get the props because there is no one in the Alberta market that's making a big impact in recruitment marketing as you are. So Shelly, let's jump into the news. It's a and busy week. Holy it's a busy week, but oh we're only going to talk about one thing. I know. Please. Can you guess what that is? Oh, you've got to. The Sam Altman being removed as CEO from OpenAI. I know you've been following this close, so break it down for us. What's <laughs> okay. going on? Yeah, it was a really busy weekend and I was fascinated. I think my favorite type of movies and shows are corporate stories. Have you seen Blackberry? You have to see Blackberry. It's a Canadian production, but fascinating, telling basically the story and the backstabbing. I definitely recommend you watch that one. But anyways, okay, this will become a movie. And I know that Netflix documentary folks are already wringing their hands and can't wait to have a documentary right? come out on this because it was a whirlwind of four or five days. So I'm going to break it down. Later Friday afternoon, the information reported that it all-hands meeting with OpenAI employees. Suskiver, who was one of the co-founders also on the board, seemed to imply that firing could have been an effort to return OpenAI to its original mission as a nonprofit to develop AI that benefits all of humanity. So OpenAI was co-founded, Elon Musk was part of this, as a nonprofit organization in 2015. But it switched over to a hybrid cat profit structure after the release of GPT-2 in early 2019. Since then, it's gradually become a for-profit tech company. And we can argue the merits and the downfalls of that, but that's the reality. So Friday evening, we suddenly get the news that Sam Altman was out at OpenAI and it blew up the internet. I don't know if you're on Twitter at all, but basically that's all there was, even TikTok, basically any social media it was the breaking news of Sam Altman getting fired with a very vague press release by OpenAI, basically saying Sam was not completely upfront with us. And because of that, we need to get rid of him. At that time, Brockman announced his resignation. So Brockman was another co-founder, I believe the chairman of the board, and also three senior researcher had resigned. Saturday morning, the information reported that an 86 billion employee share sale could be endangered by the internal turmoil. Just to give you an idea, this company's worth around $90 billion. Like in less than a year, it's gone from zero to $90 billion. Big deal. Saturday evening, obviously the investors started to really put some pressure on the board to reinstate Altman. And then OpenAI employees showed their support for the former CEO by quote tweeting one of his posts with heart emoji on mass. It's basically almost every employee. And I'll go more into that as well. On Sunday, there's a picture of Sam Altman at OpenAI with a guest badge saying, this is the first and last time I will ever have this badge. So supposedly he was there to negotiate his return on the condition that the board that fired him stepped down. So he set a deadline for 5 p.m. Pacific time for a new deal. Sunday night, and I was following this on Sunday, right? And I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. he's coming back. The board will get fired. They're stupid. What a catastrophe. But no, it gets better. 
So in a shock decision, OpenAI named Twitch co-founder and former CEO Emmett Shear as its interim CEO. Two days ago, they had appointed Mira, I forget her last name, as the CTO to the CEO. And suddenly two days after, she wasn't good enough. Like, we need to bring another CEO. So he came in. I don't know why he did it. I guess the limelight. But he came in with the mantra that we're going to open an investigation, figure out what happened. And then he scheduled a null hands on deck call. No employees showed up. Zero employees showed up. On Monday, Microsoft hires Sam Altman and Brockman to lead a new AI research lab within the company. Hundreds of open AI staffers, including Ilya, who was one of the people that actually created this or started this coup, penned a letter trending to quit and join Microsoft unless Altman and Brockman are reinstated and the board resigns. As of Monday evening, 95% of OpenAI's roughly 770 employees had signed the letter. Tuesday morning, Microsoft Chief Technology Officer Kevin Scott tweeted that the company would offer a role with match compensation to any OpenAI employees leaving for Altman's new research lab at Microsoft. Tuesday, OpenAI announced that Altman will return as CEO under a new board. The new board consists of Salesforce co-CEO Brett Taylor, former Treasury Secretary and Harvard President Larry Summers, and one holdover, Cora CEO Adam D'Angelo. So as of right now, after all of that, we're basically at status quo, where Sam Altman with a new board Everyone's back on board with OpenAI. My God, Shelly, that was a whirlwind in four or five days. And I think this will be studied in the history books as why corporate boards can be fucking idiots. Like, what do you think they were trying to accomplish? Don't you think by firing the guy that really drove this company, created $90 billion in value in a year and just firing him without a cause or really a story behind it seems a little bit crazy. I know there's a lot more to it, but you're right. Sometimes true life is stranger than fiction. Like you can't make this stuff up. You know what I pictured is I pictured these board members getting in a room together and they all just think they're so smart, right? The back slapping and the high fives and they've got it all figured out or somebody just became ultra woke and said, oh, he's done something. We have to get rid of him right away. No one's going to disagree with them. And before they knew it, they had just cut the baby in half. Yeah. There was no wisdom and guidance to get their heads back on straight. That's what I think the based on a true story movie is going to (laughs) be. Honestly, like I can't wait to see the movie. Yes, and I think there's a couple of lessons we can learn from it. First of all, I think you mentioned a little bit of like ultra-wokeness. A couple of weeks before, there's a board member who had arguments with Sam, I think exactly on that theory of for-profit, non-profit. So I think there was a mismatch in the board and what was OpenAI's new reality. So picking your board is extremely important, especially in recruitment, we know how important it is to get the right people in the right seat. So I think that was one lesson. The second lesson is CEOs 
are the number one recruiter, and this is a perfect example. 95% of the employees signed a letter saying, if we don't bring him back, we're all quitting. So basically, within a couple of days, would have taken 90 billion, brought it to zero, and everyone would have gone to Microsoft. So Microsoft would basically have acquired OpenAI for zero dollars outside of the investment they've already put in. Like the CEO is so important. He should be the number one recruiter in any organization. And to go further in that, he should be your number one retention tool within any organization. Because obviously they love the mission. They want to follow this guy. And I think we've read a little bit of his history. And uh, the guy's he's got some skeletons in his closet. But even with that all aside, they wanted to work with him. Yeah. That's what was so incredible. You can't name any company or any workforce ever. Literally racking my brains to think of any organization where 95% of the employees would come together, especially that quickly. Yes. And that many. Like that is almost cult like. Well, hey? a lot of these companies in the mission wow. they're in, if we like I'm reading Elon Musk's book with Walter Isaacson that did like Steve Jobs and fascinating mm-hmm. book. Even though most people hate working for Elon Musk, they will follow him to the end of the earth because they believe in his mission. And this is where being a mission-driven company with something you're actually accomplishing. The other factor though, Shelly, that I was thinking about, it's not reality for most organizations. And if you look at the 750 employees at OpenAI, they had a job tomorrow, probably at double the salary at any company they'd want to go work with. And that gives you a lot more leverage to put that on the table compared to a company that they don't have those options, right? Like I know if I was put in that situation, different parts of my career, mm-hmm. I don't know if I would sign a letter saying, bring back the CEO or I'm quitting because I still have to feed my family and all these things. Mm, I don't think anybody at Microsoft got any sleep. Can you imagine how stoked they would have been to think that we could overnight take over open AI? Man, it it Every, almost happened. I know. Could you imagine if you were Kevin Scott over at Microsoft and you're just like, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. Anyway, yeah, well, so Satya Nadella, who's the CEO of Microsoft, was a big proponent of getting everyone together. I guess he was the key player in the background because he's like, if you can't make it work, I'm going to hire him. And I think this accelerated. But at the end of the day, I think we know where this is going. OpenAI is a Microsoft company. Okay. I think Microsoft is going to take advantage of this. It's definitely in their benefits, all of this happening. So Shelly, how about we jump into the tip of the week? You bet. You've heard of open hiring. I don't know if everyone is familiar with the concept of open hiring. And I know the first time I heard it, it was like, that's bananas. So what it means, just by the simplest definition Basically, it's like having a list, you put your name on the list, when you're next on the list, you get hired. And in terms of looking at the numbers, it actually does quite well for retention. Now, this is not all jobs. This would be jobs like Uber driver. Because really, as an Uber driver, you need two things, a car and a driver's license, right? There's really no other barrier. And then it's a matter of waiting until there's an opening 
But then there are other roles where the most important qualification is that you show up for your shift. Yeah. Like in some hospitality type jobs, that's really all they need you to do is yeah. just show up for your shift and consistently. So I wanted as the tip of the week to just put some thought into taking a look at your workforce and being realistic, even in your own organization, if there are roles where you just need to stop putting people through interviews. It, it doesn't directly correlate with their success on the job. It's being more intentional is the message. And open hiring may be a solution for part of your workforce. Well, you know, when I read that, the first thing I thought of is uh, Last Little Box book and going through the research Google did, and every hire was a flip of the coin. So it was basically 50% each way. Didn't matter, interview or no interview, you probably end up at the same spot, which I think is interesting. I don't know if it's reality, but to your point, you're thinking about all these jobs, like warehouses jobs. Do you think... Really, Amazon spends a lot of time. Their turnover is so high for those that basically, if you have a pulse and you're healthy, you've got the job. And you show up. Showing up is probably the greatest characteristic they're looking for. And interviewing somebody isn't going to tell you that. Nobody's going to say, no, I don't intend to show up. <laughs> oh, you might. Yeah, you might. But, Do you uh, intend to show up and actually work? When are my days off? Can I take vacation yeah, right away? Exactly. Exactly. When's my shift? Oh, no, I need That's that day off. Yeah, I know. So Shelly, I want to jump into the recruiting insight. And this show awesome. is going to be very AI heavy. I read a recent article in Fast Company that goes through research by the Forster Group, basically predictions they had for 2024. So one of the predictions they have is a candidate using AI to automatically respond to job postings leading to a successful application, even after they've accepted the role using generative AI to create compelling but potentially fabricated application material. I, I think we're already seeing that. Mm -hmm. The other prediction is there will be at least one well-known company hiring a non-existing candidate and another hiring a real candidate for a non-existing job. I 100% see this happening. Yeah, I think that's pretty safe. Grab your popcorn because it'll be good. It's going to happen to a big player. Yeah. It will happen. And 2024 is going to be a really interesting time when it comes to AI because we've been talking about it for 2023, but I don't think we've really started to see the implementation that we are going to see with a lot of companies and a lot of experimentations. I guess it's similar to anything. I think automation, AI, all these tools are great. And you have to figure out how you can leverage it into your recruiting and hiring process. But human eyes, especially at the start, are absolutely critical. You should have a manual intervention process to make sure that this is flowing the way it should. And they gave the example, you know, when they built the first car, well, every car came with a toolbox because you are going to need to use it. I think it's the same with AI, just leaving it run without any governance and it, it. At it. <laughs> it's not going to work for you. And it, it's going to break down a lot of process. And sometimes this will help you determine what can actually be automated and what can't. We will learn lessons. And it goes back to what you said with open hiring. This might be one of the risks of open hiring, Shelley. Maybe. 
So when I read this, I think this is going to be more technology workers. Somebody found a way to use open AI to create their ideal profile that matched an ideal job that paid a lot. We know it's already happening now, but to have it be like not even a person, AI created it itself and applied on its own. I don't think that's unforeseeable. Yeah, I think one of the things that we're seeing is there's already software, we've talked about it, that you can apply for hundreds and thousands of jobs and the job seeker is going to get a job and forget about it. It's going to keep running and someone is going to open higher and hire that person. I, I guess we'll see, but I think you have a positive AI story for us. I do. I do. Do you know HR's use of AI? Now, of course, this prediction and the cautionary tale is all about recruitment, But there's actually some awesome ways that AI can be used for good. In HR, I wanted to just point to a story of Wyndham Hotels and Resorts. They implemented a product that will answer candidate questions. Yes, it's a, a chat bot, but it will also help them fill out applications and schedule interviews, which when you think about the talent pool, For the vast majority of hotels, you want to be able to support people. The other tool that they implemented was a tool for upskilling their their managers inside the organization to help them with conversations, to help them with how to answer HR-related questions that stay on site. Because a lot of it is legislation, like you've got a question, maybe you're in a certain state and their labor laws are slightly different than maybe where head office is. So it's a, it's an informational tool, but it's automated so many things that are just repetitive. So uh, way to go, Wyndham Resorts and Hotels. Yeah, nothing innovative there, but it's good to see some companies putting some tools in place. Like it reminds me exactly of what Paradox does when it comes to your application process, what they do with McDonald's and several other companies. Do you want to jump into the next recruiting insight? So I'm always interested in articles and research being done on the power of employer brand and how we communicate what is the job and how we communicate why you'd want to work here. What's interesting is that what we are seeing is employees are still thinking about even after they've accepted a job, but within the first six months, this study proved that 40% of people are still thinking about leaving. And moving on to another job. But then how many actually do leave? This was interesting because closest parallel would be any new relationship. And when we think about our lives as humans, the relationships that we have that last the longest and are most important, obviously, would be choosing a life partner and what kind of job you do. I think the mistakes that are done are probably very similar, right? They're now an employee. They're locked in similar as you get married. Oh, it's now my wife. Like she has to deal with all the bad things. There's a couple of things that I thought were interesting in the article. Qualtrics, who did this research, reported that 50% of CHROs called talent attraction and hiring a very important priority. And we've heard this. I'm mm-hmm. 50% is actually pretty low, but only 41% said the same about onboarding. And I think that hits it exactly where the issue is. We are still doing a really poor job of onboarding. Pretty much mm-hmm. every organization that I've seen, not a lot of them mastered it. And it's something, and please correct me if you think differently, 
That is so easy. So easy. Just take the time to put a proper process in place and some due diligence over and it's done. It's not that hard. Make sure all the equipment is ready on day one. Make sure that someone is bringing them to their desks. Someone's going out to lunch in the first day. They have a training plan for the three months, just not put in a room in here. Watch these 42 videos that are the most like I you've know, watched I corporate know. videos. I know. Absolutely worse. Please. Or here's the software. <laughs> learn everything that you can learn about it. That is how we're onboarding people, which... I would feel exactly the same. If I join an organization in those six months, I don't feel like I'm getting the resources or the help I need. I'm out. So I'm not surprised by it. Not surprised either. No. However, I think people have more opportunity now. They have more choice. Because if you just went through the application process and you still keep your automated application tool, just keep it firing because you may be six months into a job and it's not what they said it was going to be. And you're not starting back at zero again. Yeah. It's that start and stop motion that it's just so frustrating. So why not leave it on and just keep applying? It's not a bad point, but I think there's definitely a lack of trust on both sides. I think job seekers or new employees coming in, they read all the stories, right? They know that this company said three months before they wouldn't lay off anyone and suddenly they lay off 25% of the workforce. Trust has eroded between employees and employers. Hence the reason that we're seeing a lot more union activity across North America. It's for that main reason. Not saying I agree with that, but it's the main reason why people are feeling that way. Mm -hmm. What's the next recruiting insight? So wanted to talk about the whole notion of firms that use mergers or acquisitions to buy the talent, which interestingly, I found this article and recommended that we talk about it before all the drama that just rolled out with uh, OpenAI, because it talked about using merger and acquisition in the tech sector to bring in new talent and how buying a company is easier than trying to recruit and hire for yourself. Where it points out, and I think this could be true of any industry, not just the tech sector, but having absolutely no plan for post-acquisition integration and bringing them under one umbrella, especially staff in small companies. Because when you think about how mighty and powerful some companies have been with as small as 13 employees, and we all know who sold for a billion and had 13 employees. It is a strategy that companies employ. Yes, I agree. There's really two things. And I've been in a situation where I work for companies when we did aqua hire, especially in the tech sector, where the difference between a good and a bad software developer is extremely large. And usually in my experience, and I might be wrong, usually happens with companies that are already partnered together, working on very similar things. There's a thought of there will be cultural alignment if we bring this team of people within our team. Because to go out, especially software engineers, devs, they're in high demand. So Mm -hmm. if they get acquired, there's no guarantee that they're going to stay to that company because they've got probably a lot of other options. So it's a huge risk to acquire some of these companies because usually 
you'll get the shitty ones to stay and the good ones are going to look at right. the option. Yeah. <laughs> but I know it's a big risk. It is a big risk. And the biggest risk is just not having a plan. Mm. Like acquiring a company, it all sounds good until they just leave, right? Like you say, a good dev has options and they can a go. Ton of dev. Yeah. Last recruiting insight. Our friends at AppCast came out with their latest recruitonomics, which they talk about remote work preference, age and remote work preference. And one of the things that really stuck out to me, age is unlikely to be a reliable predictor of remote work preference. Pretty shocking, actually, because... Very surprising. Yeah, we've had a lot of these conversations. And I got to say, we probably just invented that we think that these people at this particular age want to work remote or in the office. Maybe we're right on some of them. Like one of the things we always talk about is the younger generation. And there's a mix of opinion. Some people say, no, they they want flexible. They don't want to go in an office. And there's another segment that says, no, they want to go in the office. They care about culture, their friends, all of this stuff. But they did a survey and 22% of employees aged 20 to 29 prioritized collaboration as the most crucial aspect of their work, with only 13% emphasizing flexible work arrangement. If you think about collaboration in that age group, in general, if we look at the averages mm-hmm. across the board, it was pretty consistent. They're asking for 2.4 days a week that they can work remotely. The only slight shift was the age group of 30 to 39, which was higher at 2.5 days per week. And the first thing that jumped in my head was that's obvious because this is the generation or this is the age group that has kids at home. Yeah. Yeah. It's really tough to have both parents working outside of the home. It's almost impossible. I don't know how we did it uh, in the past. The other factor that is looked upon is here is the professions. The professions are showing way more disparities in how they prefer to work. So employees in consulting, IT, and technology prefer more than three days of remote work per week, while those in customer service and science research sectors prefer around two days weekly. So I guess the thing that I want to point out in this research and to help us as recruiters is let's not look at the age and demographic when it comes to who wants to work remotely, who wants to be in the office. Let's start looking at the industry specifically because that will tell us a more precise story, in my opinion. Shelly, what's your take? No, I'm completely on the same page. Loved the advice that you can't just point to age group demographics, which I think I might even been guilty of myself, thinking that it was age related. And what's interesting is, as we start even talking to people outside of our industry, or, you know, different industries and employee group sizes, and that sort of thing, and you start asking, it's really been surprising, thinking that the younger workers want to be in the office or don't want to be in the office. So this clearly blows the whole thing up. It's not tied to age and or lifestyle, but more so tied to individual preferences. There was no correlation. None is what this study showed. So 
Yeah, that's where research can help us be better at our job. So, Shelly, we've got an event coming up, the Canadian Recruiter Networking Group here in Calgary, mm-hmm. I think November 30th. Yeah, I told you I couldn't go, right? Yeah, that's going to make it even better. Sorry. I get all the attention to myself. <laughs> yes, Spotlight's going to be on search. Yeah, Spotlight's and on search. I think Flint is their sponsor, which is super great. Thanks, Kim, yeah. over at Flint. I think, Way to go. I think Kim is the main speaker which should be very interested. I, maybe I'm wrong. So Will, if you're listening, please correct me. It's one of the most forward thinking when it comes to giving her TA team great tools. Mm. Like they've got great tech. You would be blown away with the tech that they have. And they ask a lot of their recruitment team, but they also give them the tools to do it. So I'd love to hear it. So maybe somebody record it. Where are you again? I'm the 1975 is playing in Vancouver. Ah, you're going to another shitty band. That's right. That's right. Mm. All right, Shelly. Well, enjoy your shitty music. We will see you next week. Have a good week. Thanks, Serge. You're so mean. Au revoir. (laughs) Shelly, let's face it. Texting candidates is the easiest way to hire quicker today. But your cell phone doesn't connect to your ATS. You're sharing your personal number with strangers. That's pretty scary, right, Shelly? And Mm. it's not even legally compliant. Mm, This is where our friends at Rectex come in. They've created simple yet powerful text recruiting software that works with your ATS. Plus, it's designed by recruiters for recruiters, so you know it works. To learn more and book a demo, visit www.rec.com. TXT.com. Mention the recruitment flex and get 10% off annual plans. Have you ever found yourself scrolling through financial news and wondering, how does any of this affect me? How can I read a major headline and truly understand what impact that has on not only my portfolio, but my life? Well, our goal on the podcast Inside the Street, hosted by Wall Street analyst Sela Shifre Partners, is to provide public investors and young professionals with a deeper understanding of the mechanics that drive those major headlines. And what better way to dive into these mechanics and hosting Wall Street analysts themselves to discuss the newest trends in finance firsthand? Well, on our show, we bring you real perspectives from the front line. Hearing these analysts give commentary has made our listeners much more well-versed on the financial markets. This approach to discussion allows our listeners to engage in conversation with much more educated opinions and predictions. So be sure to check out our show, Inside the Street, wherever you find your podcasts.